I kind of want to dive right into my message this morning. I got a lot of ground to cover. Um, wasn't uh, the last couple weeks with Rick? Wasn't that great, y'all? I don't know if y'all that were here, but oh man, I had to listen to the the last one because I was out grilling and helping with Brett and all that jazz. But um, what a great great time we had with Rick, and uh, continue to pray for him as he's traveling. But um, this spring break, uh, we're actually going, me and my family, we're going out to Arizona to go spend some time with, um, you guys have heard a lot of stories about Arizona, but we helped plant a church out there about 15 years ago um, with uh, a lot of friends, and the church is really go- growing, but want to go out there and visit, and we're going to spend time with a young guy that's getting married for his wedding, but, so you guys pray for us while we're gone too, but um, I love traveling, don't you, you all? Like, I love going places. I was, I was kind of reflecting back about 15, no, I'm sorry, 20 years ago when my wife and I were first married. Our, our first year anniversary, I wanted to do something big, okay? Like, I maybe made a mistake because I kind of went all in on the first year, and then I kind of had to figure out how to make up for the difference every year after that. But the first year, um, we were going on a trip with her family about a week before our anniversary, and we went to Washington, D.C., and I wanted to surprise her, and so I went to go reserve um, a, a, some hotels up in New York City, okay? And I'd never been to New York City. I'm a Florida boy. Um, I grew up here. I don't know much about New York City at the time. And so I went to go, uh, go to a computer where there was a wire that came out of a bat called the Internet. There's, there was no real Wi-Fi at the time. There was no cell phone that you could pull out of your pocket. And so I went to go do research about where to stay in New York. And one of the places that I found was a hotel called The New Yorker. Okay? Never heard of it before. Nobody recommended it to me. Uh, there was no like reviews or five stars. You had to go on a different page to find that. So I just thought, well, it sounds cool. It's got some history. Um, actually, there's a picture of the lobby that we have that should be, there we go. That's a lobby, right? So I was like, that's a pretty place. I want to I go visit that hotel and see what it's like. So we left Washington, D.C. We headed up towards New York. We drove in a 1998 Volkswagen Bug that was red with red flowers, and it was my wife's car, not my car. But we looked really cool pulling through the Lincoln Tunnel. We got to this hotel, valeted the car. We walked in the lobby, and we thought, man, this is gorgeous. So excited about it. We go into the elevator where the mirrors and everything's gold, just like the lobby looks. It's beautiful. And then we get up to level eight or nine, wherever we stayed at, and the doors open. And I would probably not know how to describe what the hallway looked like other than a very creepy-looking kind of like, it looked very much like this. It was about as close as I could find. They don't even have pictures of what the hallway looks like. I think they've changed it since we went. But we couldn't see the numbers for the rooms. We couldn't see anything, so we're kind of getting real close. I thought maybe something had happened. The power went out. It's just how it looks. We get over to our room. We had to go sideways to get down the other hallway. I open up the other door, and the door literally hits the bed. That's how small the room is. It's like a 10 by 10, okay? We squeeze into our room. Uh, the TV is like this little box TV with little antenna coming out and had the little, you guys remember those? Um, had that, closed the door. There's the bathroom behind the door, okay? It's a little bitty bathroom, a little bitty closet. I'm like, I'm sure there's going to be a gorgeous view. I go to open the curtains, and there's smokestacks right in front of our window, and I thought, well, this is going to be kind of interesting. Uh, so we went down, got a pizza, a New York pizza, and then brought it back up to the room. We passed out at about 7 p.m. because we were exhausted from the stress of driving into New York City, okay? 
and the experience that we were having. Now, I kind of all chalked it up to possibly a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation of what the internet said about the hotel, okay? I didn't have much of an explanation other than I just didn't do enough research. I didn't, I didn't fully understand what was going on. Uh, the word misinterpretation, if you need to know what that word means, um, means the act of forming a wrong understanding of something that is said or done, or an example of a wrong understanding. Now, how many times have we heard something about God, or like maybe the first time that we heard something about him, it could be like the law first mention, and we just instantaneously believed it. How many of you guys have experienced that with me? Like, it's like, okay, well, that makes sense, and this is the first time I've ever heard it, so I'm sure that this person means what they say, and they know what they mean, so we're just going to go with it, and then we close the case, right? The case is closed. Um, so today, I want to just open a, a, a few verses today, if you guys can hang in there with me, and I want to reopen those cases uh, that maybe we've had closed for years. And you might say, well, why? Why do we need to do that today, Matt? I believe it's more important to show up, like when we get to a scripture or we go to pray or we go to talk to God, it's more important that we can expect the proper thing when we get to the destination. Does that make any sense? And we won't be disappointed when we go to talk to God or we went, when we go to listen to God or we go to read something about God. And what's cool about grace, right, I think what's cool about it for me is it's allowed me to ask questions. You guys know it's okay to ask questions in here? Like, whatever I say, you're allowed to ask those questions. Maybe you should ask them when we leave. Or, uh, but my hope is that we can go discuss these things. We can talk about them. We can talk about them in Bible studies. We can talk about the restaurants. We can open up the discussion. That's all I'm doing today is opening up the discussion for a few different scriptures. Is that okay? Okay. I don't have all the answers. Did you guys know that? I'm only 41, okay? So you got to give me a break. Uh, starts off, uh, I want to read to you a story. A man and his wife were having an argument. That's pretty rare. About who should brew the coffee each morning. The wife claims you should do it because you get up first, and then we won't have to wait as long for our coffee. The husband says, you are in charge of the cooking around here, so you should do it because that is your job, and I can just wait on my coffee, right? That makes sense. The wife replied, no, you should do it, and besides, in the Bible, it says that a man should make the coffee. The husband replies and says, you are crazy. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. So she goes and gets her Bible. She opens it up, and sure enough, on multiple pages, it says, he brews. <laughs> Turn with me to Hebrews 13.8. It says, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can tell some of you, you're going to get it when you get on the way, on the way home, okay? It's okay. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For a long time, this verse right here, I heard this verse, and this was the only verse I knew in the book of Hebrews, right? It was the only verse, for some reason, that verse specifically was isolated, and I heard that verse typically like when people were going to pray for something, or they're going to pray over a person, or they're believing God for something, typically... Uh, you would hear this verse quoted where Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I actually think that's a great idea. I think it's a great idea to view Jesus as the same yesterday, today, and forever, even when we're praying over people or thinking about 
um, who he is. I've also heard it in the context of sermons, like when somebody is preaching about God and how he's consistent and how he's constant, and they'll say Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And wouldn't you agree that that's a good thing to know about God, that he's consistent, that he's constant, that he's always the same, that he doesn't change? Um, I think that all of those are, are good things. But I believe the best way to know what a scripture actually means is to look at it in its context, to look at it in exactly kind of a bird's eye view instead of looking at it so closely and isolated. I wanna, and that's what I want to do today is I want to look at it and step back a little bit. And if you guys can go with me, Hebrews uh, chapter 13, we're going to go to verse 7. Uh, it says, remember those who have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, Follow their faith, considering the outcome of their manner of living. So here we know that the book of Hebrews uh, is an unknown writer. Some believe it was Paul. Others believe it was possibly Apollos. Um, some believe it was Barnabas. What they do know is whoever the writer was, they knew the writings of Paul because they would quote him often. Okay? The writer was saying to remember the teachers who first instructed you in the faith. Remember the teachers, when you started, first started following Jesus, remember what their lives, what was going on in their lives. Remember what they were doing. And so uh, he's encouraging these Jewish people who have come to know Christ to begin to remember the people that first told them about Christ. And it says the author's reminding them um, to not be discouraged, right? So the Roman people, if you know at the time, they were okay with these Jewish people continuing about with their lives, right? Like as long as they were going to practice the Jewish customs, that was fine. But the moment Christianity began to uh, creep into the Jewish culture, the Romans took notice and they began to persecute. And so this writer is encouraging these Hebrew people to not be discouraged in their faith, to not be discouraged with following Christ. Verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9, it says, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited those who have been occupied therewith. So the question I have about about this verse right here is, what are diverse and strange doctrines? Because that sounds kind of Interesting, right? What are diverse and strange doctrines? I would say, according to this verse, it is the opposite of those that establish their hearts with grace, right? Because it says diverse and strange doctrines in verse 9, and then it says, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Anything that would lead you to the law, anything that would lead you to some kind of custom or bring you under some type of sacrifice, right, is going to be a diverse and strange doctrine. The Hebrew people were ridiculed because they never made sacrifices. When they went to go worship God, they weren't making sacrifices anymore. They, were, they had learned that Jesus was the sacrifice, and so therefore they were changing their customs, and it was making the Jewish people alarmed. It was making the Romans alarmed, and they begin to get persecuted, and so they're trying to, the writer is trying to encourage them and reminding them that the sacrifice that Jesus made was the same yesterday when they first believed. It was the same the day that they were living then, and it was going to be the same in the future. Can we use that verse for ourselves? Yes, we can. So, Matt, when, like, the, you know, I feel like there's topics outside of grace that we could be talking about, and I would agree with you. 
But I, I look at this book right here where it was written 30 years after Christ's death, right? After he died and rose again. And, the, and yet the writer is reminding these Hebrew people to continue to focus on the fact that Jesus' grace establishes them. The Hebrew people had already broken away from their Jewish customs, and the writer of Hebrews saying, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Matt, when are we going to start talking about deep things, right? When are we going to talk about the meat of God's word? Well, I have a scripture for that. It says, not with meats, which have not profited those who have been occupied therewith. Maybe I pulled out of context there too, but I was just having fun. In other words, this is it, dude. This is it. When we're talking about grace, we are establishing our hearts in the things of grace. We are establishing who you are. You're finding out your, your identity. You're finding out that you are spotless, that you are blameless, that you are forgiven, and we will forever continue to remind you of those things. Uh, 1 John 3, 1, it says, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. We can forever be looking at the depth of his marvelous love. We can forever be looking at the fact that we are now sons and daughters of God, of the Most High, Right? I love what Rick was saying last week when he said, um, how deep does the rabbit hole go? He doesn't know. He just finds that it keeps getting better and better and better as he keeps going. It is kind of like the Energizer bunny, bunny right? Basically, our hearts are made right with God by grace, not of works. And almost every other religion in the world says that you and I have to do something in order to make God do something for us. In order for us to be right with God, you and I have to do something is what people will say. So my question is, why would we ever stray from that? Why wouldn't we circle that over and over and over again? Because it only establishes our hearts more and more. Hebrews 13.10, it says, We have an altar from which they have no right to eat who serve the tabernacle. The writer of Hebrews was reminding them, we now, now have an altar as believers, we get to come to the altar, which isn't this altar right here. It is the altar of Jesus Christ, and he did what we could never do. He did what we could never do. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary, that's verse 11, by the high priest for sin and burned outside the camp, verse 12, therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. If you still are trying to become sanctified in your own works, you are wasting your time. You are actually practicing diverse and strange doctrines because you are still continuing to try and do what only Jesus' blood could do, which was to sanctify the people. Right? Uh, let's continue. It says, it suffered, verse 12, suffered outside the gate. Verse 13, let us go therefore unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. In the Old Testament time, under the Levitical law, animals were sacrificed for the sins of the people, and then the bodies of the animals were taken outside the city and destroyed. And so he's connecting the Old Testament practice with Jesus. When Jesus was taken outside the city. He paid the sacrifice on the cross. He ultimately paid for all sin. He sanctified us. Jesus 
And his sanctification is the same yesterday, today, and forever is what the author is reminding him in this moment. Is that, you guys hanging in there okay? Okay. Uh, Another common lost in translation, right, another common lost in translation scripture that I'd like to cover this morning is Matthew 18, 19 through 20. New King James Version, it says, Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, first of all, I want you to know I love those two scriptures. I love you, and I use those two scriptures often. Like if I'm out, you know, if I'm out talking to somebody about God, I'm out at a restaurant, I'm at a Bible study, I'm at a small group, I've heard those scriptures quoted, and I've quoted them myself, and so I am with you if you still quote these scriptures. Does that make sense? Um, But this verse, these two verses cannot be considered a proverb or uh, like a fortune cookie type thing where you can isolate these two scriptures. They're not to be isolated, even though I love to, and and I've heard them often isolated. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in his name. So I kind of just want to pose a few rhetorical questions, if you guys can hang in there with me, okay? A couple questions to ask about this, these two verses. So does this still apply if we go over three people, right? Like, will his presence still be in the midst of us if we go, because right now we're over three people. Did you guys realize that? Like, I'm hoping Jesus is still hanging in there with us. Because we're way over three people. Like, in other words, is there a cap to how many people can be in the midst of him? Right? Another question I'd ask is, why would it take two or three believers to be gathered together for Jesus to be in the midst? Why does it take two or three? Could it be one? Is there a possibility? Uh, The third thought I also have is, isn't he already present with each individual believer? Isn't he already present with each individual believer. The fourth thing I would say is, do we really think that the level of Jesus goes up when there are more believers in the same room? Do we really think, of, do we really think that? Do we really believe that? Because if that were true, I have a few verses to question. I don't think these are in your notes, and I don't think they're on there. You're welcome to write them down if you want. But I'm going to run through them real quick. Matthew 28, 20, it says, I am with you always. That was Jesus talking. Romans 8, 10, it says, and Christ lives within you. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7, the treasure in earthen vessels. Galatians 1, 15 through 16, it says, his son in me. Galatians 2, 20, It is Christ who lives in me. Galatians 4.19, Christ is formed in you. Ephesians 3.17, Christ may make his home in your hearts. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you. 1 John 5.14 through 15, this is where I believe we should live. In the Passion Translation, it says, since we have this, this confidence, we can also have great boldness before him. For if we ask anything agreeable to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we also know that we have obtained the request we ask of him. Here's what I can tell you today is we can know today that he hears us all by ourselves. You don't have to worry. I got to call this other person so that we can pray together. He hears you right where you're at. If you're isolated with Ryan out uh, camping, right, he gets to talk to God all by himself, doesn't he, right? 
If you're by yourself, it doesn't go, the level of Jesus doesn't go up when there's more people in the room. One key uh, thing, ingredient to looking at this verse is you, most people would quote this verse if two or three are gathered together in his name. Wouldn't you agree? Like most people just start it there. But if you just go back a little bit, it says, again, I say to you, again, I say to you, if two or three are gathered together. So what that tells me is that whatever was going on before this verse, that means something, okay? That means to me that something was important. So, and also sometimes you got to be careful of the translators. They even mixed it up a little bit. The translators, some of them talk that this whole section of Scripture is talking about sin in the church and how to get people that sin out of the church. Sorry, good luck, whatever that means. Uh, the J.B. Phillips got it right, though. J.B. Phillips and, and quite a few other translations, they say that, the, that this whole section of Scripture is talking about reconciliation that must be attempted with people. Okay? And this is still under uh, the old covenant, if we want to throw that out there, that Jesus is talking to people that are operating under the old covenant. So Matthew 18, 15, it says, but if, you, if, if your brother wrongs you, go and have it out with him at once. Whatever that means, right? Go and have that conversation with him. Just between the two of you. If he will listen to you, you have won him back as your brother. But if he will not listen to you, take one or two others with you so that everything that is said may have the support of two or three witnesses. Hmm. And if he still won't pay any attention, tell the matter to the church. And if he won't even listen to the church, then he must be to you just like a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, treat that person as if they were an unbeliever. Show them love. Show them grace. Show them mercy because clearly they're not willing to reconcile the relationship with you, right? But it's talking about reconciliation between you and this other person, not between two or three are gathered in the same and then and the presence of Jesus goes up, right? It's a conflict resolution, not, hey, we're having church because there's just two or three. I think you could have church all by yourself. I don't know. I've been in the shower. I've sung to God. I feel like God's presence is there. Okay? Um, you guys doing okay? How many of you guys remember the story that I told uh, year, years ago? It was a news article about the thief. Do you guys remember the thief that broke into the house? Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, so the thief broke into this house and uh, was cruising in the dark, assumed that nobody was home. He's digging in this box, and sure enough, as he's digging this box, he hears a voice. And the voice says, Jesus is coming. And the thief th stopped, and he's like, I'm pretty sure I heard something. No, that's just my imagination. He went back to digging in the box. Sure enough, he hears the voice again. It says, Jesus is coming. He peered into the darkness. He could see kind of a cage over in the corner. He kind of walks over to the cage. He realized there is a parrot in the cage, okay? So he says, did you say that? And the parrot kind of turned its head, how parrots do, right? And it says, yes. And the thief said, um, well, what is your name? And the parrot replied, well, my name is Moses. And the thief thought, what on earth, like, what kind of owners would name their parrot Moses? And the parrot replied, the same kind of owners that would name their Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> and then the dog came up, and whether that's a true story or not, I will leave it there. John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief 
does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, I have a question. You're allowed to raise your hand in this church, okay? How many of you, and I've got both hands up, have ever believed that the thief is the devil? Has anybody ever believed that in here? Okay, I'm in good company. Yes, okay, all right? The thief, right? For years, I heard that. I taught that. I believed that. I still sometimes assume it, right? Um, but, and I would think, like, if anything bad happened as a believer, well, I would just blame it on the thief, right? Like, oh, man, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm not going to blame it on God, so I at least got to blame it on the devil. Um, but it, I, it changed my mind when I read chapters 9 and chapters 10 altogether. When I read those two chapters, it kind of helped me to understand it. There's no chance that we're ever going to try and read through all those chapters, so I'm going to paraphrase at least chapter 9, if you guys can hang in there. So Jesus was walking through the city, and his two disciples pointed out that there was a blind man there. And so Jesus saw the blind man. They had a conversation. Jesus decides, even though it was the Sabbath, to go ahead and heal the blind man. I feel like Jesus kind of set it up like that, but just that's just me. So he heals the blind man uh, in a kind of a strange way. He spit in mud, then he took his fingers, and he rubbed it in the blind man's eyes. The, uh, then he encouraged the blind man, which I think any of you, if you ever do this, you should do. He said, go wash in the, in the water over there. And so the blind man went and washed his eyes out. And then the blind man went throughout the town screaming and telling everybody that he was blind and now he can see. Now, he got in trouble by the Pharisees because everything runs through the Pharisees, right? Like in this town and in most towns back then, like they were a part of the central system, buying, selling, trading, everything, and just living. Everything went through them, and they were already watching Jesus, and they, they were like going to – they were – seeing that he was tripping up and he was healing people on the Sabbath. And even the fact that he was healing people was debunking a lot of the things that they had already been teaching to people. So they brought this blind man in, and they scolded the blind man. The blind man kind of talked back to him. Um, then they brought his family in to find out if he really was born blind. Turns out he really was born blind, but they were nervous to really stand up to him. So then the Pharisees brought Jesus in, okay? And so Jesus it was a little ticked off at this moment, okay, because here he heals this blind man, and they want to scold him. They want to call the blind man a sinner, and they want to call Jesus a sinner. So he's talking to the Pharisees in this verse. It's John 10, verse 1. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Verse 7, it says, then Jesus said to them, Again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Right? Today, I suggest that the thief is not the devil. I'm just suggesting it, okay? I'm not going to take the devil away from all of you. But I'm suggesting that here, the thief is not the devil, Okay, the thief is not the devil, or I'm sorry, the thief is not the one who comes to steal, kill, and if your leg is hanging off the side of the bed, to grab your leg, right? Those are not, he's talking to the Pharisees right now. He's talking about the Pharisees, he's talking to the Pharisees, and so the thieves were the ones who would try to encourage people that instead of going through Jesus, to go another way, right? 
Verse 9, it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, verse 10, this is the one we know, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And I I present that nowhere from Genesis to Revelation is the devil referenced as the thief. Nowhere is he referenced as the thief. Thieves put a false gospel on people. That's what Jesus is expressing. A gospel that all you have to do is follow the law like we do. All you have to do is follow what we're telling you to do. How many of you guys have ever been in churches where you've heard that? If you do this, if you be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect, because that's what I do, I'm perfect, and so if you can just do all the things that I'm telling you to do, then you'll be right with God. And that's called a thief is what Jesus is expressing, right? Thieves make people feel as though that they have to, all they have to do is X, Y, and Z in order to receive something from God. But Jesus came to give. He came to give. He came not to take but to, and not to lay a heavy burden on anyone. Matthew 11.30, and we're closing with this. It says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. It says, keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And you might ask, Matt, why are all of these things important? I don't really know why you've even brought these scriptures up. I'm not really sure. So I told you about the hotel, right, where we landed was called the New Yorker. Uh, thankfully, uh, I had also done more research and had, had reserved the Plaza Hotel for the next night, okay? So the next night or the next morning, we get up and we head towards the Plaza. Now, I'd done my research. I'd done my due diligence. I had learned everything that I could learn about the Plaza. I knew exactly what kind of treatment we were going to get when we got to the Plaza Hotel. I'd seen it in movies. I'd heard about it. I'd talked to other people. I knew that Uh, When we pulled up, we were going to have to valet. They were going to valet our car. I knew they were going to be fighting over our bags as we walked in. I knew that the service when I walked up the front was going to be top-notch service. I knew what room we were going to have. I knew that Central Park was going to be right across the way, and we could see Central Park from our room. I knew the type of room that it was going to be. I knew the quality. I knew everything that I needed to know. And you want to know what what we loved about that hotel so much? Was that I got exactly what I was expecting. I wasn't lost in translation. I wasn't confused about what we were going to be getting. The other hotel, absolutely. And I bring all these scriptures up because I want all of us to not be disappointed, to not go for years thinking all of these things. Like, I spent years commanding the devil to get away from me, right? I spent years studying my Bible so that I could be righteous, not only to find out that I already am righteous, I already am chosen, I already am spotless. I'm not working on those things. I already am. And I don't have to command the devil to flee from me. I'm sorry, he's a defeated foe. I don't read a whole lot about it in the New Testament. Amen? But I just want to say those things so that we can all rest and we don't have to be lost with what Scripture says. Kind of begin to step back. And these are conversations I hope we can have outside of here. Amen? If you believe anything I say because I say it, you're a fool. But if you believe it because you've studied it out and you went home and you've done the research and you've prayed about it and thought about it, that's, that's what we do here. That's what grace has allowed me to do. I get to think for myself. Amen? Father, we just thank you, God, for this day. We thank you, God, for 
your goodness. We thank you, God, that you uh, have hopefully opened some of our eyes to some of your truth, God. I, I thank you, God, as we wrestle with these things, as we better understand these things, God, we get to know that you're for us and you're not against us. God, that you're with us at all times, God, that we're not hoping that one day you can listen to our prayers, that you get to walk with us every day. And scripture says that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So every time we come into your presence, God, every time, well, we're always in your presence, but every time we go to come talk to you, God, you, you hear us. And we trust you with that. We love you, God, today. Everybody said.